but it is the culture of having like-minded people who are willing to spend their nights and weekends on non-clinical activities to be able to fuel the clinical um, field in ways that enrich both education and our research. Welcome to Parallax by Anka Kalra, a podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology and the best from the US Cardiology Review. Published every second Monday, Anka Kalra, MD, interventional cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, USA, speaks with legendary cardiologists, reviews late-breaking trials, and interviews authors of our latest and best US Cardiology Review articles. We call them hashtag audio articles. Parallax is the effect whereby the position or direction of an object appears to differ when viewed from different positions. So this podcast is your fix of reliable uptakes on all things cardiology by someone from a non-traditional background who is always looking at the industry from a new angle. Now, here's your host, Anka Kalra, MD. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, this is another episode of Parallax. This is um, an extremely special episode for me. And uh, this is with uh, someone who needs no introduction, quite frankly. Uh, we have on uh, our show today, Dr. Leon. Dr. Martin Leon is a professor of medicine at Columbia University. He's the director of Center for Interventional Vascular Therapies at Columbia University Medical Center and the, uh, the co-founder of Cardiovascular Research Foundation. Dr. Leon, um, welcome on the show and thank you so much for your time. I know how, how precious your time is, so thank you for making the time for us at Parallax. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so Dr. Leon, um, our audience, uh, a lot of whom are early mid-career cardiologists, you know, from um, across the spectrum of all cardiovascular subspecialties, um, would definitely be keying in, on, uh, keying in on this episode and would want to know more about your journey into medicine and cardiology. So uh, why don't we start from there? Well, um, I've had a very direct route. From the time I was a medical student, I became interested in cardiology. Uh, and you make decisions, I think, from the standpoint of a career pathway based upon personal experiences. And several things happened during the course of my um, um, uh, young adulthood that um, caused me to make specific decisions, um, directing me more towards uh, a lesser invasive future. Um, I had the opportunity to work um, um, at um, uh, the uh, National Institutes of Health for nine years, and that provided me with a lot of the um, necessary foundation uh, that would allow me to jettison both uh, a clinical and an academic career. So I became interested in cardiovascular pharmacology, uh, nuclear cardiology in its earliest days. I was involved in the earliest balloon angioplasty work. That was done in the late 1970s and then became interested in clinical research and clinical trials. So I think um, having an opportunity to spend several years in a shielded academic environment, providing me with some advanced skill sets, um, helped me to formulate what my career path would be and certainly was extremely influential in me founding the Cardiovascular Research Foundation. Um, so that's, um, that's, you know, obviously very insightful. Um, you know, I, I did not know, and, you know, pardon my ignorance obviously doesn't mean anything, but I, I did not know that you had, you had spent that much time at the NIH and, um, you know, uh, when, when did the seed of forming a cardiovascular research foundation happen, you know, inside you, or when did you think, when did you come up with that thought or was that, was that something which you had 
I you know always wanted to do, or was that some was that something that inspired you to form Cardiovascular Research Foundation? It, it's an interesting question because um, it was really born out of what I would describe as um, some significant gaps and um, out of necessity. I became director of the cath lab at the NIH in 1985. I became interested in experimental angioplasty techniques. Did some of the early work with stents, atherectomy, intravascular ultrasound, work with lasers. Um, then we founded GCT when I was still at the NIH in 1988 and felt that having an educational venue that would help us to surface these new angioplasty devices could become very influential. And then it became clear to really study these new devices, I needed a broader environment. So when I left the NIH, I needed to have an academic organization, and we founded this not-for-profit 501c3 that we call the Cardiovascular Research Foundation. We really had almost no funding and no people, but the idea was really to follow the device development cycle from inception to conclusion, which meant coming up with new ideas, um, studying these ideas in an experimental laboratory, so we built an animal lab, then being able to transition to human clinical work, first early feasibility trials and then definitive clinical trials, so we built a clinical trial center, and then afterwards we needed to be able to educate the interventional community and the general public on how these devices performed and what were some of their strengths and weaknesses, and that really was the educational arm that was TCT. So it was really trying to develop a single organization that would subserve the entire device or therapy development cycle from conception, preclinical, to clinical trials, to education that became the genesis of the CRF concept. Uh, wow. Um, you know, th that's obviously very inspirational. Uh, so let me let me ask you this. Uh, when you initially came up with the nonprofit 501c3 Cardiovascular Research Foundation, um, I mean, considering that it was a as a newer organization, how did you attract money and investors? And uh, was it was it something which was uh, sort of funded by um, you know crowdfunding, or or was it something that you had friends and family invest and donate money for for you and your you know colleagues and investigators to sort of come up with um, you know device iterations and and experiment new technologies? What? It's another good question. It was more of a mixed funding model. Um, uh, we did have some philanthropy that was extremely helpful. In fact, building the experimental laboratories, the animal lab required a philanthropic donation. And then any of the funds that we could generate via honoraria or other sources were all poured back into CRF. And we were able to work very closely with many of our um, uh, industry colleagues who would support either some of the clinical trial work that we developed or the experimental work or some of the educational activities like TCT. So it really was a combination of traditional um, grant funding, philanthropy, uh, and industry support at many levels um, for a variety of reasons, education, clinical trials, and preclinical work. So, Dr. Leon, let me ask you this. I mean, the reason I, I ask you this is because, you know, I have a nonprofit on my own, which, you know, uh, you know, wants to do sort of health innovation work in, in both the developed and the developing world. And, you know, I'm in the early career phase and, you know, the, I'm sure you, you know, you, you were in a similar phase you, you where, you know, you were busy clinically wanting to take care of patients and, you know, because uh, new ideas for where the need is, clinical need is, come from when you, when you take care of patients. Um, so, you know, when you were taking care of patients, you know, you were busy setting up, 
you know, your, your practice and, you know, obviously TCT as an educational avenue, how did you find, you know, time to pitch in the effort and the work and, and sort of, you know, um, develop a, a voice and a platform for something which is as magnanimous as a CRF now, you know, obviously, you know, CRF is, is a world-class brand uh, in 2020, 2020, 2021, but, you know, during the initial phases, during, during its genesis, how did you, you know, find, you know, I'm sure it was, I mean, it was passion that drove. So, you know, you, you find time for passion, uh, you know, re- regardless of how busy you are, but, you know, it, it'll be enlightening for me, educational for me to learn from, you as to how to, you know, sort of divide time, leverage time, you know, find opportunities to build a brand like CRF. Well, for CRF's been there for 30 years, so it didn't happen overnight. Uh, we were very fortunate to be um, part of the subspecialty that um, was um, uh, in a very um, striking growth trajectory. Um, so um, the halcyon days of interventional cardiology parallel some of the growth phases of, CR- of CRF and TCT. Um, I agree. I think there's a lot of passion. Uh, it's been a labor of love. Um, I really enjoy um, um, uh, not simply doing the clinical work, which is what I um, still derive a great deal of pressure, um, uh, excuse me, pleasure from, um, but uh, trying to extend myself in thinking um, about ways to be able to continue to grow the field. Um, and I've been fortunate to have surrounded myself with some extremely talented people. I think one of the things and one of our abiding concepts is that, that, that we rush to excellence, so that we can find people who are at the best of their field at any stage in their career, who, who are like-minded in terms of um, an excitement to try to uh, um, make impactful change, uh, then they have a place and a role at CRF. So, so um, um, I, I, I shouldn't be taking credit for all the incredible work that's been done by so many people over now three decades. But it is the culture of having like-minded people who are willing to spend their nights and weekends on non-clinical activities to be able to fuel the clinical um, field in ways that enrich both education and our research. Yes, you know, I mean, so over over the last three decades, we, you've built um, a CRF, and you know, you've you've sort of modeled um, a a platform, you know, where. You know, there's, you know, industry collaboration, there's science and, you know, there's um, incredible clinical investigation all, you know, delivered to uh, the consumers, you know, which happens to be, you know, the, the clinician taking care of patients at the trenches. Um, did you foresee that CRF b- would become what it has become now? Um, is, is that a fair question to even ask or? It's an interesting question because... Um, I mean, you always have in mind um, trying to project the future, but I must say there are many people who have um, more defined long-term plans than I ever did. I never had a five-year plan or a three-year plan. The idea in the beginning was that we really were were floundering with this whole area of new device angioplasty. I was um, very disappointed in the performance of balloons as the sole therapy that serviced interventional cardiology. And we wanted to create a platform to see if we could help develop some of these newer methods. Once that uh, began and we were able to successfully see uh, some device development and clinical trials, then it was somewhat self-perpetuating. And we uh, clearly understood that within the traditional societies, there was no niche for interventional cardiology. So we thought to develop what would become a definitive 
um, educational experience. And that grew into the very comprehensive phase of TCT, which grew out of being a boutique meeting to a comprehensive meeting. Um, uh, and then we went beyond that and decided that evidence-based medicine was extremely important. We wanted to make it the repository of not just innovation and device development, but where all the clinical data um, could surface in ways that we could have an open discussion about how the clinical data affects clinical use and clinical practice. So it evolved in steps, um, and it was a natural evolution born out of um, success and need. Um, and um, uh, yeah, again, we were fortunate that you know many aspects of, of both interventional cardiology and clinical medicine paralleled some of the developmental steps that we saw in CRF. Um, yes, uh, you know, I mean, it's been an incredible story, but you know, no incredible story is without its sort of its its fair share of disappointments and failures. And you know, all of us, you know, want to talk about you know successes, and and we should we should celebrate them, we should talk about them. But you know, I think in in the very short early career phase that I've, I'm in or I, I have been in, I've you know I've learned the most from my disappointments and failures. And what what sort of lessons? So first of all, did did TCT CRF have any of, of such experiences? And, and if yes, then what were some of the take-home messages uh, for you from those experiences? What, what, what did you learn and how, how, how did that pivot into growth for you, if, if that's a fair question? No, I think it's a very good question because there's no process that is linear and there's no trajectory that's unidirectional. So there's always a stepwise fashion and there are always disappointments. And in the area of device development, there obviously were specific examples of technologies that we became interested in that certainly, for a variety of reasons, were not successful and did not um, perform in a way that was intended from the standpoint of clinical benefit or from the standpoint of complications. But I would say that some of the lessons I learned was um, certainly that humility is a very strong um, uh, educator. Um, so I think being humble and recognizing um, that in the field of interventional cardiology, um, um, uh, success is fleeting. Um, and uh, um, uh, you need to keep um, uh, reinventing yourself as the field changes um, and as disappointments accumulate. Um, uh, I also learned uh, in the beginning, I think CRF was a little bit too independent. Um, and it's not that we shunned collaborations, but we didn't have direct access to other collaborations with other societies and organizations. And um, another lesson was that, you know, as you start an organization and you work with people, um, that friendships, collaborations, and um, uh, interactions become very important. So we've developed a closeness to many, many other organizations. We work very closely with PCR. We work very closely with the ACC. We're working as closely as we can with Sky. Um, and I think that broadening your collaboration base um, is extremely important. And the third lesson we learned was uh, fairly early that this is truly a multi-disciplinary um, global community. And from the very beginning, we embraced having collaborators from around the world and have developed very strong relationships with people in various parts of the world. And those collaborations have served us well and I think have, have strengthened the bi-directional collaboration that's important to be able to um, initiate impactful um, change um, and to have educational experiences that are not um, um, regional, but in fact um, are global. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, um, it's always, you know, like you said, it's always humbling, um, you know, to, to learn from, from failures and disappointments. And, you know, as you said, I mean, you know, success in interventional cardiology is fleeting. You can do an excellent case and then the next case can just, um, you, you know, be, um, a great leveler, you know, even, even as an operator. Um, so I, I think it's, um, it's, it's always good to be humble. It's, it's always good to, you know, keep looking for opportunities to, to learn and to keep, you know, expanding your, um, your base of knowledge and, and, you know, how, uh, you know, how through innovation you can, you can impact patients. So Dr. Leon, let me ask you this. I mean, uh, I mean, you've, you've achieved what anyone can aspire to achieve, you know, in, in, in a career in, in interventional cardiology as a clinician as, as an interventionalist, as an educator, as an, as an academic, uh, cardiologist, um, what, what, what is it that, you know, still pushes you to like, what's the, what, what's the drive? What, 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 what still drives Dr. Martin Leon when he wakes up in the morning? Um, after doing this for almost four decades, um, uh, you might imagine that there's a certain sameness, but I, I never feel that. And I, I, I constantly, um, look for new things to be able to um, recreate and enhance um, um, what I do and to advance my skills and understanding. Um, so uh, I've, uh, I continue to engage in a variety of new activities. I still have the same fire in my gut that I had when I was much, much younger and, and somewhat less accomplished. Um, I, I never overstate my uh, Abilities. I think that work ethic is one of the most important characteristics to success. Um, and I'm very fortunate in that I've been able to collaborate broadly and have opportunities in many new areas. Um, but currently, one of the things that interests me is the opportunity to be able to give back. Um, we've learned over the past year with this pandemic uh, that um, um, despite it being a surreal and um, um, a very um, uh, uh, a difficult experience uh, for us at many levels. I think we also understand that there's much that we have to accomplish still and much that we have to contribute to the field. So um, I'm certainly going to spend a, a growing amount of my time on more direct philanthropic activities um, that would help me to feel like I'm contributing to the field in a more fundamental way. I enjoy mentoring young people, and I think the opportunity to be able to um, uh, extend that role in specific ways is important to me. Um, I believe very strongly in social justice, so the issues relating to uh, workforce diversity and access um, to health care for underserved populations are important themes that I'm getting directly involved in. Uh, and I love innovation, so I will continue to work with a variety of keen minds and out-of-the-box thinkers to see how we can continue to drive the field uh, in accelerated pathways. Yeah, I mean, you've you've brought up uh, you know mentorship, which um, you know you've been. I mean, I've I've been on the show. I've I've interviewed uh, Dr. Ajay Kirtanev, you know, who's you know, obviously spoken highly of you as a as a mentor to him. And you know, we we obviously know Dr. Kirtanev is. Is, is a world-renowned interventionalist. I mean, you know, he's another name that, that requires an introduction for, you know, for in, in the field, obviously. Um, and then you, you brought up social justice and, and you brought up inclusion and diversity, which are topics, you know, which, you know, I feel very, very passionate about also. And, you know, we had the pleasure of having Dr. Mehran on the show and, 
you know, we we had we um, actually had an opportunity to discuss her role and and women as one and and the and the and the kinds of activities that she's involved with, you know, giving back to to, to society and and more importantly, you know, increasing the diversity of of women, uh, uh, diversity in the field of intervention with you know with inclusion of more women. So you know, so, sort of narrowing the gender gap. Um, let me uh, ask you about about mentorship. What is it that you are looking for in a mentee? Because I mean, I'm sure you get approached by several hundreds, you know, uh, of 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 you know persons in the, in the medical profession. You know, right from medical students to residents to fellows to early career uh, faculty members to to mid career cardiologists. Um, and you know, I've I've sort of learned that uh, you know from Dr. Kirtan about, about you that you know you are equally passionate about mentoring a medical student as you are an early career cardiologist or an interventionalist. So I think it'll be, it'll be interesting and, and, you know, enlightening for us to learn about your role as a mentor. Well, I think you could mentor at many levels. Just having a platform um, with meetings such as TCT and in other venues gives you an opportunity to communicate with large audiences. So I think hopefully you can set a positive example just by virtue of the quality of the work you do and your commitment uh, to doing things the right way and to, um, you know, trying to um, 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 manage your time and, um, and your um, interests in a way that services others. Uh, so that's one level of mentoring. Um, I enjoy more direct um, uh, exposure to people who I think have promise and who I work very closely with on a variety of topics. Um, uh, and in terms of what I'm looking for, I, you know, it's, you know, anybody with new ideas, anybody with a uh, strong work ethic and anybody who thinks that, that, um, uh, uh, you know, they can, um, help discover the next, what Eugene Brownwell used to call a big breakthrough. Um, so, so, um, I, I think personality and work ethic uh, certainly resonate with me and, um, I, I've been very fortunate uh, that we have many fellows of CRF in Columbia and around the world uh, who've turned into young faculty and now have turned into prominent individuals. I couldn't be more proud of people like Ajay and uh, Roxana. Uh, they've done extraordinary work, but you know we have legions of people that we have worked with over the decades that have really helped to define the field. And there's you know nothing more special than that to, to be part of the process of helping to train and influence and then and then embrace his colleagues, um, uh, people who are now leaders uh, in their own right. Um, so I think that um, I hope that I can continue to do that. Um, it's something that I enjoy. Um, uh, and um, uh, it certainly makes a difference to me to be able to see one of my colleagues on the podium as opposed to myself. Um, uh, it gives me certainly much more of a sense of pride and joy. Um, so um, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to continue to um, do that in the future. You know, that's, that's obviously very, um, so, you know, thank you for being who you are, you know, in, in that regard, because, you know, as, as someone who's, uh, you know, who's, you know, young and early in, in the career, uh, you know, I can, I can tell you from, from my perspective and, you know, from our perspective as early career that, you know, we, we are, we look up to someone like you, you know, just to have a mentor like you who can, who can, you know, direct us, guide us, nurture us, um, you know, sort of, you know, if we're going astray, then pull us back and, you know, you know, put us back on track in, in, in the right direction. Because, you know, I think mentorship is extremely important in, in any phase in, in in one's career. So thank you so much for taking the time and the effort to, to invest in 
in, in young uh, careers, uh, Dr. Liana. I'm sure everyone is extremely appreciative of, of this aspect of you. Um, any, any closing remarks for, um, you know, residents, fellows, medical students, early career cardiologists, uh, you know, faculty members, uh, you, you know, it just it, cardiologists at large? Well, um, I think you've said it also. Um, um, we are grounded when we take care of patients. I think clinical care forces you to get back to your roots in terms of medicine. And that certainly um, impacted me over the past year, um, having to work through the uh, pandemic surge in the spring in New York City. Um, I was incredibly impressed with the young physicians, fellows, early faculty, uh, who were beyond dedicated and selfless you know, in their passion for taking care of patients under the most dire circumstances. So I think that just as people say that they're inspired by some of the things that I do, I draw a lot of inspiration from some of the young people in terms of their commitment. Um, I used to joke that perhaps this current generation has a little bit more sense of entitlement than work ethic, and I could not have been wrong, more wrong. And it's clear to me that, you know, we're very, very fortunate to have legions of young physicians who have um, the, the right attitude um, and the correct visceral response to what the needs are um, uh, of um, medicine currently and in the future. And, I, you know, I just hope that we never stray too far from those roots and we can build upon those clinical imperatives to be able to um, create a better world, not just in interventional cardiology, but in medicine in general. Yeah, no, <clears throat> Dr. Leon, thank you so much again for your time. Uh, I know um, it's been it's been tough for you to uh, you know, to, um, to, to, to get on air and, and sort of do this recording because of your other commitments. And I, I know that we have a third wave of the pandemic surging in, uh, you know, in, in Northeast Ohio, as well as in, in New York City, if I'm, I'm told. So um, I really appreciate your time and, and thank you for coming on. And I'm sure these words in this conversation will meet, mean a lot to a lot of us. So thanks again. Thank you, Anchor, for the opportunity. Stay safe and hopefully we'll speak again soon. Yeah, thank you. Dear cardiologists, we want to make this podcast about you and for you. So please email us your critical thoughts, comments and questions at podcast at radcliffe-group.com and visit uscjournal.com for more information. You can also follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram at Radcliffe Cardiology for daily updates. Join thousands of cardiologists and become a Radcliffian by registering to radcliffecardiology.com. You will receive regular newsletters and gain access to hundreds of expert interviews, educational webinars, clinical cases, and peer-reviewed articles from our six medical review journals on general cardiology, interventional cardiology, arrhythmia and electrophysiology, cardiac failure, and vascular and endovascular surgery. Thank you.